Welcome to the MWC Church Podcast. MWC Church is a place where you can belong, believe, and become the person God's created you to be. Thanks for joining us online. Good morning, everybody. So good to see you. So I just want to quickly say thanks for, um, for being normal. Thank you so much for being normal, and, and, and let me add some context to that. So uh, this past week, a bunch of pastors and I, uh, pastors from our staff and some elders from our church, we went to a, uh, just a, a training, a teaching for a bunch of ministers in Kansas. There was about 200 people gathered in one place, and it was a, a, a leadership training. We are talking about you know, vision and mission, and we are talking about mission support and raising, and just, just leadership stuff, right? And, and I was leading a session, and I uh, had an opportunity to talk with a bunch of other pastors, and, and they came up to me with, with just horror stories of the things that they face in their churches of just like crazy individuals and, and, and rogue board members. And, and I just like, I'm listening to these stories and, and, I, and I'm seriously brokenhearted for everything I hear. But then after I leave that place, I just like have a sigh of relief. I'm like, I don't, I don't have any craziness in our church. So thank you for not being so crazy, church. I, I sincerely mean that. You're like, is this really a compliment, Pastor? Okay, man, we do have Manny. You're right. Manny's a little crazy. But uh, yeah, thank you so much. So give yourselves a hand for, not, for being a, a non-crazy church. It's probably the most weird uh, compliment you've ever received. Seriously, we are blessed. We are blessed with health. Uh, God, God has really blessed our church. We have incredible people. So thank you so much, guys, for being normal and not nuts. Because uh, I heard a lot of crazy stories this week. And I'm just like, man, thank you, Jesus. Uh, the second thing I want to celebrate is this, is um, we have, uh, there's a lot of progress happening with Enhance MWC, the, the wing that we're uh, develop, or renovating back there. The, the ceiling has been completely painted now. It's been blacked out. We have a, an open concept. The walls are completely blown out. We have, um, uh, they fixed the floors. So there's like, uh, thank God there is no structural damage. There's no foundation damage because there's always a scary feeling of like pulling up carpet, what you're going to find. There is nothing there. So man, there is a lot of progress happening. They're actually a week ahead of schedule. So there's just some amazing things happening with the, the renovation. They got the wires in. So uh, we're adding some safety elements to our, our kids' spaces and we're adding cameras and just different things like that. So they got everything wired. Everything is looking great. So, uh, man, I'm super excited. Keep praying for that. The, the construction workers are doing great. No one's been hurt. Like, they have a, a board that says it's been X amount of days since anyone's been injured. Um, so no one's been injured. I'm just kidding. They don't have that. I don't think I've ever seen that. But no one's been injured as far as I'm concerned. As far as I know. So yeah, there's just so many awesome things happening. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. We've been spending some time in this chapter. Uh, we, we've been looking at the armor of God, but we've simply said this, that, that when we read the word of God, the, the best thing we can do, the best practice we can have is to read the Bible in context. And we've done that with the, the letter to the Ephesians. We, we've noted that in chapters one, two, and three, Paul writes all about theology, the things that we should be thinking when it comes to God, that, that we just can't add our own meaning and interpretations to who we think God is, that the Bible speaks for itself. God, God it, his character, his personality, his will is, is completely written out. We know who he is. He, so there's perfect theology in, Genesis, in, in Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3. And then chapter 4, 5, and 6 is all about the ways that we should be living. But the great part about it is that Paul says that we shouldn't be doing this in our own strength. How do we uh, ascribe to sound theology? How do we live lives that please the Lord and, and live in ways that honor him? Well, he says this. 
God gives us his strength. He gives us the armor of God. So we're spending time reading what exactly is intended to be said when Paul talks about the armor of God. So let's go ahead and and read this together. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, one thing that we've been noting every single week is is how Paul emphasizes over and over and over again that, that we draw our power, we draw our strength from God. We don't muster up our own power. You can't go to the gym and do enough curls to say, I'm going toe to toe with the devil. The only way we can even stand and fight, the only way we can draw power is from the Lord. That's the only way we have power. That's the only way we have authority. Our victory, this whole thing is telling us that our victory comes from Jesus. That when he tells us to fight, you and I don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. That Christ has accomplished all things. He is victorious over sin, over death. And it is from that place that he crowns us in his righteousness. And now we, when we fight, we are fighting from the place that Christ has brought us to. That we don't have to start at square one and work our way to victory. He has set us up in victory. That is my Jesus. So we fight not for victory, we fight from victory. Look what Paul also says in regards to to our victory or our love that we have in Christ. Look what he says here. In Romans chapter eight, he says this, you probably know this passage. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I mean, look look at those words. Those those are the, the... the, the worst circumstances we could probably ever face in human existence, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. What, what can possibly set us, or set us apart from the love of Christ? And he says this in verse 37. He says, no, even in all these things, even in famine and distress and persecution and tribulation, in, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. And he doesn't stop there with that statement. It's not we are more than conquerors, period. Look what he says. We are more than conquerors through him, through Jesus. Where does our victory come from? Where does our ability to be a conqueror come from? It comes through him who loved us. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm victorious, that I'm a conqueror, not because of who I am, or because of my ability to memorize a bunch of scripture. No, I'm victorious through Jesus. And that is the foundation that Paul is trying to lay here, that we have victory through Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57 tells us this. It simply says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at, again, through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're, we're conquerors through him who loves us. We, we, we've, we've attained the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It all has to start with Jesus. If there is nothing else that you get from the Armor of God series that we've, we've been spending some time in, I, I hope you understand this, that our victory comes from Jesus. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. It's all about Jesus. But Paul continues on in verse 12 of Ephesians 6. So he leaves the, or he sets it aside. He sets it as the foundation that our victory comes from Christ. We, we fight in his strength. We, we, we are strong in the Lord. We put on the armor of God so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. We do all that so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. Look what he says in verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. Now, we live in a time where it's, it's understandable for some to, to, to kind of deny the existence of demonic powers. They'll say everything is coincidence. You're, uh, anybody who believes in, in dark or, or evil forces, that they're just, they're just old school, that's old tradition. It was before science could answer things, so they, they attributed everything to the supernatural, but really they didn't understand that it was just science. Someone got electrocuted because they were messing with electrical particles and something happened and there was a combustion. And, and it, now that we understand science, we know that there's no such thing as demonic. When, there's people who say that, but, but the reality, friends, is that there is dark forces, We live in the Western world where we've been able to explain things away, but you leave the Western world and you go anywhere else and there is no denying that that there is darkness. I just spent time in Haiti and Haiti is a country full of beautiful, God-fearing people. It It has a lot of beautiful people, a lot of great churches, but there is no denying the fact that Haiti is full of darkness. I, was, I visited one church recently, and uh, the church was across the street from an orphanage that they planted. Uh, the only way that they could operate is if, if they were up across the street. So they, they planted an orphanage in a school across the street, and the pastor goes there every single day, and he takes care of the children. There was one girl in particular. We were just there. I was just there uh, a week and a half ago. And uh, one girl in particular, she lives in this orphanage, and on the left, like their next door neighbors, and on the right, the next door neighbors, are two voodoo temples, two temples that are set up for the worship of Satan. And this little girl, who is now an orphan, her parents died in the 2010 earthquakes, she lives, with her, she lives with her aunt, and she came to the pastor as we were about to leave. She came to the pastor and said, Pastor, can, can all of these men... Can they, can they pray for me? Because my aunt is trying to get me to convert to voodoo. She wants me to give my life to Satan. And, and, not, and not, now when I sleep at her home, I, I hear voices telling me to kill myself. Listen, friends, there, there is darkness. There is evil. And, and, and to try to explain it away or, or, or to say that it doesn't exist or that we're above that because of science, listen, I'm all for science. I don't think the church needs to be afraid of science, but the reality is this. There is darkness that underneath every evil human act, every, underneath every underlying act, there is an element of demonic forces. Now, I wanna be super clear. Don't be like the eight-year-old version of myself that whenever I would misbehave and my grandfather would say, why are you misbehaving? My response one time was, the devil made me do it. To which my grandfather turned me around, spanked my bottom. I was like, what? What was that for? He's like, the devil made me do it. <laughs> so wh- while I don't want us to, to, to go to one extreme saying that there is no evil, that there is no darkness, I don't want us to go to the other extreme that says every act of evil is, is because the devil made me do it. Listen, we should be held accountable for things that we do. God has given us a free will, but we need to understand that even in the choices that we make, the temptations that arise, those are all demonic in influence. So those are all demonic in origin, right? But the Bible tells us, so even though there are demonic forces, they are not equals with God. Satan is not equal with God. It's not a yin-yang where there's like half darkness and half light and God is in this cosmic battle and they're at 50% all the time that they need to bring true balance to the forest. Listen, I love Star Wars, but that's not good theology. 
God is completely triumphant and way more powerful and authoritative than any darkness. He is not equal with Satan. He just gives Satan a leash and he's given him time. He is victorious. So when we read this passage, when we're talking about going to battle, when we're talking about fighting, we need to understand Christ has given us victory. But he says this. He's taught us this. He says, therefore, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belts of truth. We've talked about truth being objective, moral truth, that we believe that truth doesn't change with time or because of circumstance or because of culture or society or what the populace is saying. We say that truth is objective, that God is the one who is the founder and the originator of truth. In fact, Jesus even says, I am the, the way, the truth, and the life, right? So, so Jesus is truth. But we put on the belt of truth as our foundation. If you don't have belt or truth as your foundation, then, then what do you stand for? So he, Paul is very clear that the belt of truth is the first thing that we put on. And with, within that belt of truth, we attach the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness protects our hearts. The breastplate of righteousness is not a righteousness acquired on our own volition. It is, it is a righteousness that has been ascribed to us by Jesus. When, we, when God looks at us from heaven, he doesn't see you or a future version of yourself. When you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when God now looks from heaven, he sees Jesus. He sees the, the perfection, the holiness of Jesus. And we thank God for that. It is called the righteousness of God. That's what Paul talks about in Corinthians, that, that he made him, being Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. It is the breastplate of righteousness. We put this on. It protects our heart. It reminds us who we are and where we stand. It is the breastplate of righteousness. And I've said this, that being made right with God, which is righteousness, being made right with God leads to living right for God. It's not the other way around. So often in the church, we try to confuse these. We say, if we live right for God, then we will be made right with God. And that's not the way he works. That's, that's not his formula. When you are made right with God, then you will be living right for God. So don't inverse the two. Are we saying that holiness is nothing, that we shouldn't try to live lives of holiness? Absolutely not. But we will never reverse the fact that Christ is who makes us righteous. So it continues on. He says this. So we put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes. Everybody wants some good shoe game. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We said this, that the armor of God is so much more than just something to make us stand still. When Paul talks about standing, it's not this passive standing like you're just waiting on the corner for a bus, right? This, this standing that we have is, 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 is a vigilant, alert stance, we move the gospel, we mobilize the gospel, we look for opportunities, and we do so with the gospels of the, sho the, sh the shoes of the gospel of peace. Continues on, he says this, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Pastor Justin did a great job talking about the shield of faith last week. And we, we said this, that, that faith isn't what we see, it's, things, it's belief in things that are unseen. It doesn't mean that seeing is believing, it means that, that even if I don't see it, I believe God, that no matter what my circumstance looks like, it doesn't matter what is facing me, I can still believe, I can step up around that and see that God is still faithful. The same way David says that, that once I was a, a young man and now that I'm an old man, I I have known always that God has never allowed for his righteous ones to be forsaken. Amen. We know that God is faithful, so we hold faith. 
no matter what our circumstances look at, no matter what the, 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 the demons are, are shooting at us with these fiery darts that, that Paul is talking about, no matter what temptation is coming our way, we choose to stand with the shield of faith, believing that God is always faithful. He's forever faithful. So in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And now I wanna read verse 17. Today, if you came to church, you're lucky. It's buy one, get one free. We're getting, two, we're getting two pieces of armor for the price of one. So congratulations, you got a BOGO deal. All right, verse 17, verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation. Everybody say helmet of salvation. And the sword of the spirit. Say sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You don't have to say that, but I'm glad you did. The helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. These are the two things that we're talking about. And I debated on just preaching on one of them, but the more I began to study this passage, I began realizing that, that they need to be taught in tandem, that you need the helmet and the, the sword at the same time. There's no point in running around with a helmet if you don't have a sword. There's no point in running around with a sword unless you have a helmet. They're, they both go hand in hand in the text that Paul is going to be teaching from today. But before we jump in, I want to ask you, do we have any NFL fans in this place? Anybody that's a big Chiefs fan? Anybody that's been watching? I mean, listen, I'm giving you an opportunity here. The Chiefs are 9-1. If you've never been a Chiefs fan, the time is now. Okay? Like, you don't know when this is going to happen again, where they're going to be, I'm just being honest, right? Trying to be objective about, about sports. The Chiefs don't have the best record, but, uh, or track record, but, but this is an opportunity. So I'm going to ask again, do we have any Chiefs fan in the place? Okay, great. Yeah, everybody. Awesome. Yeah. Nine and one. You guys, you guys should celebrate. Uh, I feel like we, you guys ever watched Stranger Things, you know, when they went in the upside down and everything was like weird and, and backwards. We're living in that time right now because the Chiefs are great and, and the Bears are great. And I have no idea how to handle this. The Bears are like six and three. They play the Vikings today. I'm super excited about that. So we could possibly see a Chiefs and Bears Super Bowl. How awesome would that be? I would just like wouldn't know if I want to hang out with you guys or not. Like, I just, I don't know what would happen. So, so, the, so the Chiefs are doing great. The Bears are doing great. It's, it's awesome. But this year in 2018, they, they started establishing new rules. Has anyone heard of the, 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 new, the new rules with hitting, right? Hit, hitting with the helmets. It is a, you can't lead with any hits with the helmet. So those days when, when you used to see someone just get rocked and popped and just like knocked back, they started changing the rule that you can no longer lead with the helmet. And I know that there are two approaches to this. There's two responses to that new rule in 2018. Either you hate it or you accept it. <laughs> and I, I, I had the chance when I went to Haiti, I, I, met, I, had, I had the privilege of meeting uh, the chaplain for the New Orleans Saints. The, I was hanging out with him. His name is Johnny Calvin, a good friend of mine now. We, we talk. And uh, he, we're just talking about the new rules that they're adding to the NFL. And he was, he was t I was telling him how just annoyed I am by, by, the, by the new, the no hitting rule. It's essentially what it is. You can't tackle anymore. You have to, they're going to start giving him flags and stuff. And I was just bringing all these things up. And uh, he, was, he was explaining to me, he's like, you know what? I, I understand the frustration. I get it. Because like we don't see football the way it was that we're accustomed to. It's completely changing and things like this. And he started explaining why they change the rule. And he started teaching me on uh, uh, a, a new, not, not, it's a disease, it's a degenerative neurological brain disease that, that is becoming much more evident in, in the lives of ex-NFL players. It's called TCE. It's called a traumatic, or I'm sorry, CTE, chronic traumatic 
encephalopathy. How's that for biology? Encephalopathy. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Come on. Give it, a, give it up for Jesus. All glory to God, right? Yeah. Uh, CTE. CTE. And, and it's this, it's, it's this ge- uh, neurological de- degenerative brain disease. And uh, it's, it's when this protein, it's called tau, it, it, it ends up developing later in life and it leads to just traumatic uh, mood swings and depression and anxiety and even, even suicide. That they, they, and they've actually done some research and they've realized that out of the 111 uh, ex-NFL players that they've, they've given their body post-mortem, they were able to study their brain and out of 111 of those brains, they realized that 110 of them had CTE. And they even postulate that Aaron Hernandez, you guys remember Aaron Hernandez, the, the, the wide out for the Patriots who had just a, a horrible, uh, committed a horrible um, um, uh, murder and he was tried and, and then he ended up committing suicide in prison. Just a tragic, tragic story. Well, they are looking at his brain and they are saying that they have already found CTE. So this is a big thing and it starts with blunt head trauma. And the more and more head trauma that there is, the more CTE ends up becoming a reality. So they've changed the rules. And I started thinking about this in light of this passage, the armor of God. If, if, if the NFL, much like in the same way the NFL is, is taking steps to eliminate traumatic head injuries, when I study and read the armor of God, I would say this, that our father has done the same thing. He, his desire is to spare us from any spiritual head injuries. What do I mean by that? Well, if you've been serving Jesus for longer than a day, you know that this relationship, this, this worship of Jesus is a mind game. That the attacks from the enemy aren't always physical. In fact, the majority of the attacks that we experience are mental. It's a mind game. Insecurity, anxiety, fear, frustration, stress, temptation, lust. I mean, it, it, it's addiction, it, it's, it's a mind game. And God the Father, our great heavenly commissioner, He cares about us so much that he aims to protect our head. How? With the helmet of salvation. Everybody say helmet of salvation. What do I mean by salvation? I remember when I first got saved and I heard the word salvation, I I really didn't understand what was being talked about. I I, I grew up and I lived behind a a salvage yard, so I thought, well, maybe it has something to do with with salvage yards. And and, uh, in fact, I I wasn't right, but I was close. And uh, in this salvage yard, my friends and I, we used to sneak in. It was a 14-foot fence, but we found a a link down there and we cut them and we'd we'd break in and we'd go to the bottom, super dangerous. But we'd go in there and we'd, we'd hang out. We'd build like these forts and these clubs out of these, these yeah, my parents had no idea we were doing this, but um, we, we, we got into these cars and we pulled parts out and it was just so much fun and uh, dangerous. And um, so when I first heard of the, of the phrase salvation as a new believer or new churchgoer, I thought, well, maybe it's a salvage yard. And when I started thinking about a salvage yard, what, what is in a salvage yard? It's a bunch of broken down, useless pieces of junk and someone ascribes worth to them and brings it back into society, some way, somehow. Salvation is pretty close. The Bible teaches us that you and I were dead in our transgressions. You and I were dead in our sins. We weren't just sick. We weren't in a salvage yard looking for someone to make us whole again. No, we were dead. And Christ Jesus came and salvaged whatever was there. In fact, gave everything new. And then he brings us to the Father, adding eternal worth and value. So when we believe in Jesus... 
when we confess our sins, the Bible says that, that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord, you will be saved. It's not some crazy formula. It's not a certain you know, buy-in clause where if you tithe enough or if you get enough stars in, in Sunday school that you'll be saved. No, it's simply if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. If you make him your Lord and Savior, which means master and Savior, then you, you are saved. So this helmet of salvation, Paul is trying to, to get across that, that our salvation is something that is intended to protect our heads. So what is the purpose of, of a helmet? The helmet has one purpose. It, it's, it's to protect the head. The, the helmet has one purpose, and it is to protect the head. When I first started following Jesus and after I'd gotten saved, uh, after I experienced salvation, I, I, I was a little confused about what salvation was. So, so I, I know I went to an altar and someone prayed with me and I prayed what was called the sinner's prayer and I, I admitted, I, can, I believed and I confessed and, I, and all these different things. And, and I, can, I can clearly point to a time when I felt something change in my, in my life and in my body. I was like, oh man, this is what it feels like. Just, just joy and excitement and just life. And like, like, it was like, my, like, you know, that time when you get new glasses or contacts and you can see and you're just like, whoa, the world is crazy, right? Like it was, it was one of those moments where I was like, man, this is, this is different. Now, theologically, I knew this was, this was salvation. The Lord justified me and I was experiencing life for the first time. And, uh, but, but I was a little confused because I thought I had to get saved every single week. Has anyone ever been there? Where, where, where there is like an altar call or there is a time to, to get saved and you're just like, I gotta go again because like I stole something or I, I did something. Or, and then you go to the altar and you get saved all over again and you're just like, thankful, thank you, Jesus, I'm saved again. And then you go home and then you come back next week and you're getting saved again and you're just getting saved over and over and over. And then when the church is taking statistics about how many people got saved, like 1,000 people got saved, but like 998 of those were you. <laughs> I've been there. I thought salvation was like a, a chargeable battery, right? Where, where you know, I, I'd live for Jesus and then throughout the week I'd, I'd sin or something would mess up and I'd fail and, and I wouldn't read my Bible or something would happen and then, and then I'd have to go back to church and get saved. I'm here to tell you today, friends, that we have security in our salvation. It is a gift that has been given to us by God and it's not easily lost. Now, I wanna be careful um, there are a lot of debates on this, the Calvinism or Arminianism, free will or, 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 or God's sovereignty, and I believe we can hold, hold, we, I believe we can hold both perfectly. Now, while I don't believe one saved, always saved, which is this belief that, that, that you, if you are saved, that, that you are always going to be saved, that there is nothing that can, that can ever uh, take you away from your salvation, I believe that in Scripture there are instances that we see that, that salvation, although very difficult, is something that we can choose out of the free will God has given us to step away. Can, can I say this? It is nearly impossible for that but I believe that scripture does give us ability to make that argument. I wanna give you one example. In Luke chapter eight, Jesus is giving a parable. He's talking about the seeds that have been, been sowed and he's giving a story about different kinds of people who accept the teachings of God. And in one instance, he says this. He gives an example of the rocky soil. He said, the seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. Oh, salvation? I was dead in my sins and transgressions and, and now I, I can be alive in Jesus. Praise the Lord. And, and there's excitement, there's joy, there's just vibrance. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while and then they fall away when they face temptation. 
So I believe there are points in scripture that say it's, it's possible to harden yourself so much to the grace and the love and the joy of Jesus that you could step away. I want to be careful. So I feel like I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth. I, I am. I, I don't for one second believe God wants us to be insecure in our salvation. So, so although I, I do want to say theologically, I do believe it's possible to step away. I, I don't want you for one moment to be insecure in the salvation God has given you. It is a gift that he has given you. You can't easily lose that. He gave it to you. You received what he blessed you with. So I believe God's desire is that we walk not with arrogance, but with certainty that we are saved. The helmet of salvation is not something that just flops around on your head like a helmet that's too big. It's firmly fitting on your head. You should not be afraid. Oh, Lord, am I saved? Am I saved? Am I saved? When you fail, when you sin, the Bible does say this, that we have an advocate with the Father who intercedes on our behalf. Am I saying we should justify living lives of sin or tolerating sin in our lives? Absolutely not. In fact, a sign of being saved is that you are gonna live like someone who's saved. Jesus says this, if you love me, obey my commands. Simply put, but I want us to be sure of something. We should not be insecure in our salvation. We should be able to stand strong and say, I am saved. I am his and he is mine. Jesus is for me. Who can be against me? So don't, don't be insecure. Don't be afraid of, of your salvation. The Bible does say to work out your, your faith with fear and trembling. But the next passage right after says that the Holy Spirit's gonna cause us and will us to do what pleases the Lord. We always stop short with the fear and trembling part. Like, oh, I'm so scared. I gotta, no, it's not what he's saying. He's saying, yes, take this sacred and believe in it. But, but the Holy Spirit's gonna lead you and guide you to do what he wills. So although I would say it's possible to fall away from God, it is not something God wants us to feel insecure about. He wants you to be confident, yet humble enough to identify sin in your life and repent. Friends, the helmet of salvation is meant to bring us security. It's intended to remind us, because earlier we said that, that this life that we, we face, it's not a physical battle that we're with or fighting against the enemy. It is a emotional one. It's a, a mind game. It's, 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 it's a spiritual battle. And those moments where you get the lies of the enemy, the helmet of our salvation, our salvation is intended to keep us safe and secure in the reality of who we are in Jesus. So when you hear those lies, what should we be doing? What's our response? It's, it's the next step. What he calls the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He gives us a sword. You know, the Bible does say that the enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. How many of you have heard that passage? The, the devil, he, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Uh, when I first heard that passage, when I was in youth group, I was like, wait, you, you tell me there's been lions like looking around, looking for something, and, and it was a spiritual metaphor. It's not physical he's talking about. He's talking about spiritual. He's looking for someone to devour. But read in context, that first Peter passage makes much more sense. First Peter five, verses six through nine, look what it says. He says, humble yourselves, which is a, a mental thing, right? You can humble yourself physically, but Paul is specifically talking about emotionally. He's talking about mentally humble yourselves. 
therefore under God's mighty hand that he might lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares about you. Again, that's a, a mental fight. Be alert and of sober mind, mental again. Your enemy, and now he talks about your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. The same kind of suffering. So what happens when the enemy, who is a roaring lion, prowling around, looking to devour you, what happens when that thought game, that mind battle that we're in, we end up feeling like we're losing? I'm gonna say this, and that's when we need the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The sword of the spirit. The Bible talks about the sword, and it has two functions. You attack with the sword, and you defend with the sword. Unfortunately, I know too many Christians, and I was guilty of this too, that would use the sword, the word of God, as something to hit other Christians with where we're attacking each other with the word of God. Listen, that's not God's desire for us. If you're beating people up with the scriptures, that's not God's desire for you. Now, if you come with, alongside them and you bind their wounds with the word of God, that's one thing. But if you're smacking upside the head with the Bible, that's not God's desire for you. He wants to bring humility and love. He wants to bind wounds, not inflict more damage on people. So the sword has two purposes. It's meant to attack, but attack against the enemy. It's meant to defend. Defend what? Defend against the enemy. Look what Paul says in regards to uh, the attacks the enemy brings. He says this, for though we live in the world, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, What is he talking about? What weapon? He's talking about the word of God. He says, on the contrary, they have divine powers to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The band wants to come back up. The word of God is intended to defend us against the mental lies the enemy is throwing in our direction. When the enemy is trying to make you feel insecure, when he's placating on your insecurities and bringing up anxiety and bringing up stress and he's bringing that temptation, when he's saying things that are contrary to the truth, what is our defense? Friends, I'm gonna tell you it's, it's the word of God. It's the objective never-ending, never-fading truth of Jesus. Paul says that with the word of God, we demolish arguments and pretensions and false truths that have set themselves up contrary to the knowledge of God. Friends, this is happening in our culture. Our society, our culture says that it's, it's normal, it, it's, it's, it's absolutely acceptable to have sex before marriage. But the word of God speaks contrary to that. It tells us that sex is best. It's a gift from God. Perhaps you were raised in a generation where they were taught sex is evil, sex is bad, but God gave us sex. There's nothing that God has given us that is evil or bad. But it's meant to be practiced in the right context. If we will be blessed by a gift by God, it has to be done in the right context. Right context. 
So although society and culture says, oh, it's, it's whatever you want, it's this or that, it, God says, no, no, no. How, so we fight back those lies, those pretensions with the word of God. Culture, society tells us today that, that we can start assigning our own gender. And, and I don't want to go at this as a political issue or that, that's, that's not my heart. My heart is this, that the enemy is trying to destroy the person. Tries to diminish the value and yet God says that I have created them male and female. That he has a purpose for each and every individual. Society and culture tells us that that anxiety is, is normal, right? It feels like they, they, they just justify, like, like if, if you're stressed out, you're normal. This is just the way life is. But when I see scripture, when I read about the word of God and his desires for me, stress isn't intended to be normative. That's why he says to, to cast all your anxieties on me and I will give you rest. The Bible tells us not to be anxious about anything, but with everything in prayer, petition, and thanksgiving, bring our requests to God. And instead of that anxiety that we have, it says that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding makes no sense. That peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, I know, I know that you are experiencing attacks and lies and things that the world is throwing at you, but I'm here to tell you that God has given us a beautiful armor that protects our head and defends us against the lies of the enemy, and it is the word of God. Friends, his desire is for you to walk out of here empowered, not insecure in your salvation, but empowered, knowing that if you have, if you have made a decision for Jesus, if you have been saved, that you should be secure in your salvation, that you shouldn't walk around fearful or afraid, I'm not saying you walk around arrogantly living however you want, but no, you, you say that this is my power, my strength to live a life of obedience to Jesus. But in those moments when the world gives you contrary beliefs, things that are completely the opposite of where God wants to send you, we have something to fight that back, and it is the word of God. Friends, can we stand together? I went to a, a mission summit earlier this year. In August, I hung out with a bunch of pastors from Kansas, from Arkansas, from Oklahoma and Missouri, and we were gathered together to hear from one specific missionary who was a missionary to Romania. And he started telling us this story that in Romania, it was a, it was a previously communist country, and that in this country, to this day, they don't have a translation of the Bible that is not been filtered through the lens of communism. So that means every instance that we see of freedom or liberty or justice, most supernatural miracles and healings that we read in the Gospels have been extracted and they're left with the shell of the Word of God. And it's been that way since the 1950s. They haven't had a translation in their tongue that is understandable and unfiltered. And as I started hearing this missionary share this, he's saying that the people that are in Romania are just hungry for the word of God. 
Like they, 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 they long for it and that the Lord speaks to them in dreams of visions, telling them passages they've never heard before. So they'll come to church and, and someone will give a, a tongue and interpretation and there's, there's speaking passages they've never heard before. Powerful things. And then as I'm hearing this, this missionary share this story with us, there's a bit of conviction that falls in my life. And the Holy Spirit's just telling me, he's like, man, America is so blessed. We are almost oversaturated in the word of God, if, the, if that's even a thing. I mean, we can go right now on our phones and download an app and have hundreds of translations just at our hand. We can be online or offline, in print or in digital format. We have the word of God everywhere. We can walk through Hobby Lobby and it's plastered everywhere. And yet, although we have access to one of the greatest pieces of armor God has ever given his people, how often do we just leave it on a nightstand? And I'm not trying to guilt anybody this morning into obedience. I'm saying God's desire is to empower you, friends. The anxiety, the depression, the lust, the sin that you walk and carry with, the, the, the things that are the mental game that you're battling right now, God has given you a weapon to fight, and it is the word of God. And why do we so often not utilize the gifts and the equipment he's given us? Can we make a commitment this morning that as a church, as individuals, collective, under the, the umbrella of MWC, this church that God has given us, can we say we will do everything in our power to wield the weapons God has given us? to utilize the armor that he has given us, that we will put on the belt of truth, that we will adhere the breastplate of righteousness, knowing that it doesn't come from us or our doing, it's Jesus. And from our right being with him, it will lead to right living. Can we put on the, the, the gospel shoes of peace, understanding that we are called to carry a message with us? It's not something that we store down deep in our hearts and just walk around. No, we, we bring it places we go. The gospel is meant to be mobilized. Can we be sure to carry the, the shield of faith, understanding that we are not people that are going to be bound by what we see, but believe in what is unseen? That when Jesus says we have victory, even though it feels like we're losing, we know we are victorious. That we don't look at our temporary circumstance, we look at our eternal position. We are firmly rooted in Jesus. Can we say that we will put on the helmet of our salvation, that it is not going to be something that is flopping around like a helmet that doesn't fit, but something that we are going to be secure in, knowing that there are going to be no mind games getting through or penetrating this armor piece that God has given us. And in those moments that something looks big that's coming our way, a lie from the enemy, something that is meant to, to destroy when culture and society sounds louder, can we wield the sword of the Spirit stronger than any double-edged sword and destroy every argument that comes up against us. Friends, this is an opportunity. This isn't anything more than an invitation from heaven for us to be the powerful Christians God has called us to be, to be the powerful church that Christ desires for us to be. Now today I'm asking you, can you put on the armor of God? Can you make sure that every moment when you wake up that you are putting on every piece 
because he has empowered us, that he's placed us in a position of victory and that we operate from there. Can we just lift up our hands as a sign of just surrender as, a, as an admittance to God that, that we are insufficient, that we need everything that he has to offer? God, in this place, Lord, we say we need everything that you have to offer. Lord, we know that we're in a battle. Lord, we know that there is darkness, that there are demons that are trying to destroy us, that there is an enemy of our souls. But we don't fear him because your word says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So Father, we trust you. And we know that you've given us everything we need, Lord. You've given us the, the belt of truth. You've given us the breastplate of righteousness. God, you've given us everything. And today, Lord, we talk about the helmet of salvation. It's, it's meant to be snugly fit to protect us, God. May we be secure in the salvation you've given us. And I just want to pause here for a second with every eye closed, every head bowed. If there is anybody in this place who has yet to receive the salvation of Jesus, if you want to go ahead and place your hand down for a second, if there's anybody in this place who has yet to make a decision for Christ, if you've yet to put on the, the helmet of salvation, I'm going to ask that you just lift up your hand so I know who to pray for. Anybody in this place? Awesome. Awesome. Father, you see us. You know where we're at. Father, by our admittance, we, we would say that all of us in this place have made a decision at some point. Father, may we put on this helmet of salvation and may we wield your word. May we read your authoritative, perfect word. And may it be a sword for us. We ask that you would help us fight back every lie, every argument that is contrary to your truth, Jesus. And we ask this in your name. And if that's your commitment, will you say amen?